morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. And in chapter 14, our text this morning will be found in verses 12 through verse 26. It is a delight to once again be together um, in the Lord's house on the Lord's day with the Lord's people. Matt, thank you for leading us in worship, Ellen and Sophia. We were blessed. Thank you for ministering to our hearts, but also to our souls as well. In biblical Christianity, the church, the local church, ecclesia, is oftentimes defined as a group of people who gather regularly of people who are called out ones. They meet and they worship the Lord in song And we have done that. They sit and they listen to the preaching of God's word. And we will do that in a moment. Part of that definition is that the local church also regularly meets to remember the communion table of the Lord. We have the privilege of celebrating that today. As well as what? We observe and celebrate believers' baptism. And we get to do all of those things just today. I think in Psalms, it actually talks about when they met together, God's people, that there was even a tambourine. And we even have a tambourine today. Like everything is today. We have opportunities as a local church to make disciples. I have the wonderful privilege. I have a front row seat to hearing and seeing people meet all throughout town, walking together, sitting for dinner, cups of coffee, pouring into one another's lives. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice at the local church is to share the good news, is to be what? Do the work of an evangelist and to tell people. And, and, and what? This time next week, we'll be praying over 18 people from our church that are being sent off to Cruz Blanca, Guatemala. We praise God for that. Even yesterday, we had the opportunity to minister through our vacation Bible school. Where little kids heard the gospel for the very first time, believe it or not, even in our own town. This is totally foreign. We praise God that if you notice, the rain was, was held off at a perfect timing so we could have our vacation Bible school. I appreciate Angie and Jen and their hard work um, and the many people that poured into it. I had the privilege of, of speaking yesterday, and I don't normally speak to little kids, and I, I realized how precise how careful you need to be with your word choice. There's a big difference. I actually made the mistake of saying snow cones and cotton candy. And I was supposed to say snow cones or cotton candy. Big difference between those two words. I finished talking with the little kids and I just, I just really don't know what they heard, what they understood. And our volunteers very honestly said, it's a good thing you don't have to talk to kids very often. (laughs) But God is still good. He is on the throne. We have the opportunity to have his word open before us. This text is amazing. There's a lot to it. Um, Let's bow our heads and pray and ask for the Lord's help as we listen and learn. Father, we just love you and we thank you. For these few moments you've given to us to meet together on your day, a beautiful, beautiful day. Lord, I I thank you for every single person that is here. Or some people that have gathered, they have had had tough weeks, long weeks, hard. Pray for John Strope in the hospital right now. 
God, I pray that you minister to his heart as well as heal his body. I pray, Lord, for Scott Fatorni and family as he lost his dad this past week. Erica Gall as she lost her mom last week. And Lord, as a body of believers, may we come alongside and may we comfort and encourage and love. May we, Lord, learn from your example. And may we pour out your love to those around us. Father, we are so thankful. I am so grateful for this text that is before us and what it reminds us and directs our attention to on the price that was paid, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. That you took the punishment that we deserve. I pray, Lord, right now that the gospel would be made clear, that you would open ears and eyes to hear and to see you. Please, please, Lord, I I need help. Guard my mind and my mouth. May everything that is spoken exalt the name of Jesus, edify and build up these believers, and most of all, bring glory to you and to you alone. We ask this in the precious and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. Amen and amen. Okay, we are now in the final moments of Passion Week. It is early on Thursday evening. Uh, The time of Jesus' betrayal, rejection, and death is getting um, ever closer and closer. Last week, if you remember, we looked at the actions of what I call the woman who taught the world how to worship. This woman, the Gospel of John, identifies her as Mary, probably the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Mary very carefully and sacrificially pours out this extravagant, expensive perfume of pure nard, a rare uh, uh, oil extracted from a root from the base of the Himalayas. She poured it out as an act of sacrifice, anointing Jesus before his death. Apparently, some, we know at least one of the disciples, had a major problem with this apparent waste, as Judas called it. Jesus said, it's not a waste. He said, what What she has done is a, a beautiful thing. And so last week, Lord willing, we were reminded, what? That it has got to be about our Savior. It's our focus on what Jesus Christ, our Savior, has done. Not about our serving, but our sacrifice. And that we, just like this woman, are to be forever remembered. First and foremost, as worshipers of Jesus. Are you known? Do people identify you and describe you? Yes, that person is in love with Jesus. That's our goal. That's what this woman was known for. We asked, what do you worship? The silliness of the fleeting things of this world. Or do you worship the one true God? Today, I want to direct our attention to Mark chapter 14. Uh, The evening continues on Mark chapter 14. I'll pick it up in verse 12 and read down through verse 26. You can follow along um, as I read. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. 
And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it. I love this. Just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful. And to say to him one after another, is it, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12 who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Two points I want to give to you this morning. The first one directs our attention to what I call the Last Supper. The Last Supper included, number one, preparation. Now, the Last Supper, that term is more traditional Um, than what we see directly in Scripture. If you hear the term, the phrase, the Last Supper, automatically you think, what, 15th century Italian Renaissance painter, Leonardo da Vinci, even to this day, there is still, what, a, a chapel, a refractory in a particular chapel in Milan where this this painting, this famous painting, the Last Supper still exists. They talk about the fact it's been touched up so many times. There's very little of the original that even is visible. So we have here this image of the Last Supper. What, what exactly is this? A time first and foremost of preparation. I want you to think about the disciples. The disciples knew Jesus well. They spent a lot of time with him. And they knew the calendar even better. The Passover celebration Or as we read it, it was called what? The Feast of Unleavened Bread. The time was nearing. The disciples knew all about the when. They knew knew when this was going to happen. And they also knew the what. They knew what they're doing. But they did not know the where. Completely what? Oblivious. So they asked Jesus this question in verse 12. Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? We know that Jesus gave very, very specific instructions. Reminding the disciples, Luke chapter 22 says what? He names them. It's Peter and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus reminds them what? That every single detail 
is covered. Before we go any further into this text, let, let me just remind you that, that if we really are honest, we spend the bulk of our day, of our week, worrying and wondering, fretting and perhaps even fearing, like, what's next? Like, we, we have a plan, like, we sketch out our plan, but in all honesty, we're clueless to what tomorrow holds. Do you realize that in, in this, as we launch into this, there's just a neat little sidebar that Jesus has everything. Every tiny detail already planned. When we worry about something, like what if, and then maybe, and then perhaps, when you are with Jesus, just like these disciples are with Jesus, there is absolutely no need for you to worry or fret or fear about anything in all of life. He has every detail figured out. Do you realize when you demonstrate that type of faith, that there is a sense of peace and there is a sense of, of, of rest. Just trust him. Literally, you are with him. He is with you. Just trust and obey him. And what? Enjoy. As opposed to wondering and worrying about every tiny little detail that's completely out of your hands. But it is perfectly planned by him. Good reminder here. Jesus instructs, go into the city and you find a man carrying a jar of water. He'll meet you, follow him. Sounds a little creepy in a sense, like just follow this guy to his house. Follow him. He will show you a what? It's a large upper room furnished and ready. And I love this. And the disciples set out and found it just as he had told them. What an amazing Reminder that when Jesus sets the course for every single tiny detail of our life, you will find it just as what he had told you. Jesus has a better plan and a better purpose for your life than you do. Can I say that again? Jesus has a better plan and a better purpose for your life than you do. Not only do we see this first and foremost, this last supper included preparation, but we also see the last supper included celebration. The preparations are made. Tiny little details are set. And what? Jesus will share the Passover supper with his disciples, those closest to him. You have to understand that all Jewish people looked forward to this event, especially Jesus, especially at this particular Passover. It actually gives this detail in, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 15. Jesus says that I have desired, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, it's hard to understand this in English. There's an in, in, in intentional emphasis. I have earnestly desired. There's, there's a, an emphatic point he's trying to make. If you were to translate it literally, it would say, I, I earnestly desire to desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
Why? Because there's something big that's happening here. It is the entire completion of one system that Jews had observed every single year for the past 1,500 years. One system, what? Ends and a new one begins. One, one door closes and another one opens at this event right here. That's why it's this significant for us. So this Passover will be different than any one else previous because why this will be the final one forever remembered as the last supper da vinci in a sense did well i guess but can i assure you that there is no image that could ever accurately depict the importance of this event literally earth's most significant meal that has ever been served Unlike any other. Why? Because Jesus the Christ is and will be the perfect Passover lamb. Now, now we know the Passover meal is full of meaning. Passover meal was a beautiful, very, very moving, intentionally rich ritual. Why? Because the Passover talks about the fact that there's deliverance. In order for there to be deliverance, there must be death. If there's to be what? Uh, deliverance as a result of death, it must be the death of one that is completely innocent. Thus, the way a lamb was chosen. So here's how the Passover would work. The head of the house, usually the father, conducted the order of it. In this particular case, we know that it was Jesus. So they would begin with a prayer of thanks just for God's goodness, his graciousness, and his love. And after, after the, the giving of thanks or prayer of thanks, everyone would wash their hands. We see the significance of the act, what? It's recorded in the Gospel of John where Jesus, who's the head of the household, is not just what? Washing hands, but he goes to wash the feet of every single person. After the giving or the prayer of thanks, after the washing of hands, they would enjoy the first of four cups of wine to be served before the arrival of the traditional Passover food, which included unleavened bread. It's flattened bread. There's no yeast in it like our big puffy stuff. It, it, it enjoyed what bitter herbs and stewed fruit and greens. And of course, what the main course, the roasted lamb. Every single time that the food was brought in, the youngest person would always ask. And so they would always cue this. Okay, you're the youngest one. When you see this being brought in, you are to ask the question, why do we eat these foods on this night? Why do we do this? The oldest one or the head of the house, the dad, would carefully explain why and recount the telling of the story of what? The Passover from the book of Exodus. The Hebrews were in slavery and bondage, Egyptian bondage, and there was a number of plagues that God had sent, in a sense, to change the heart. And yet we know by the 10th plague, it was going to certainly bring the death of every single firstborn of every single house. Think for a moment of this. Your oldest daughter, your oldest son, that as a result of this plague, God would literally snatch them, take them from you. Unless what? 
Unless that family went to the sheepfold and they would do this on, on Monday and they would search, they would look for what? Lamb after lamb after lamb and they would run their hands all over it to make sure there's not a spot on it. There's not a blemish. There's not a little nick or cut. There's no, there's no dark spot. There's no dirt anywhere. And they would bring that little lamb into their home, literally to be in their home the entire week. Have that little lamb as a pet for that week. And then as the time neared, they would slaughter. They would kill an innocent, harmless, defenseless little lamb. The story of the Passover was that you would take that blood and you would what? You'd put it on the, the doorpost, the side posts, and above on your door. And that at that night when the angel of death were to pass over unless he saw the blood marked over those doorposts. Unless he saw that, he would remove the firstborn. But if he saw the blood over that doorpost and on the side posts of that door, then he would what? He would pass over that house and everyone in that house would be safe. The father would retell this story when they talked about the fact that what when the blood is, is poured out, the innocent blood is poured out and spread, and it passed over and everyone would be safe, that they would then in that Passover time sing the halal. It's the word hallelujah. They would sing Psalm 113, Psalm 114, and Psalm 115. Together as a family, they'd gather and they would sing out loud about God's goodness for passing over. And they would drink the second cup. It would be lifted up before the, the main course, before the meal, the lamb itself was eaten. With the second cup, they would take the unleavened bread. The head of the household would, would hold it up. And he would say this, this is the bread of affliction, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. Father would then give thanks and he would tear the unleavened bread and he would serve it to each one of the, of the people in the family. It was usually eaten in complete silence. And then the, the main course, that which was left over after the sacrifice, the, the burnt lamb, the, the roasted lamb was eaten and they would drink the third cup. It's interesting is that on this particular occasion, as these Jewish followers of Jesus observed this last supper, this last Passover, that instead of eating in silence, Jesus spoke and he broke the silence. And as, as the bread was being passed out, he, he talked about the fact that I am the Passover bread. I am the lamb without any spot, without any blemish. He talked about the fact that he would offer his own life up as a substitute for his people. Thus what? His life would be given up. Which brings us to our third point about this whole what, Last Supper, including, we know it includes preparation and celebration, and it also includes a declaration. Listen to this. As they were reclining at table, they didn't sit at chairs the way that we would. They would literally lie down and they'd be on, propped up on one elbow. They were reclining at table and eating. Jesus says, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. 
I don't think there's a better way to describe what happened than what was happening than with these few words. It says what very clearly in verse 19 that they began to be sorrowful. The NIV translates it that they were saddened. The New Living says that they were greatly distressed. The word is lupeo in, in Greek. It means what? That there was a sense of heaviness and grief that began to settle. In a sense, a darkness and a weight began to press on them. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a situation before where you are enjoying fellowship, you're enjoying koinia, you're celebrating, and all of a sudden somebody, somebody gets word, somebody gets a call, somebody receives news, and the music dies down. The celebration, in a sense, stops in many ways. That's, that's exactly what happened. And it happens in a sense of weight that perhaps some of you can identify with. I don't know. Have you ever been betrayed before? I, I don't know if there's anything that is worse than one of your very own relationship had been established, you're close, you spend time with, you eat together, turns on you. Probably a poor picture, I think, of the look on William Wallace's face when Robert the Bruce turns on him. We, we've read in history about Benedict Arnold, we've read about Marcus Junius Brutus, who turns and leads the assassination against Julius Caesar. We've heard about this one name. It seems to be synonymous with the word betrayer. Judas Iscariot. It almost sounds, as I was reading the commentary, it almost sounds snakish. This, this is him. This is the one that we're talking about. They have, they have walked together dusty roads. They've literally lived alongside. They have listened and learned to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have been serving together. They've been ministering together. They have witnessed healings and miracle after miracle. And now one of their own, one closest turns against them. What a horrible, a horrid, sick Feeling. You ever, you ever been punched in the gut and had the wind knocked out of you before? Like you can't, you can't, can't breathe. That's, that's the feeling. Judas, forever attached. That one name to the epitaph. Look what it says, look what it says in verse 21. Woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. The son of man himself is speaking. The creator of the entire universe spoke everything into existence from nothing. And he says, woe to that man. Listen to this. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. I don't know if there's another verse that speaks about the responsibility that, that is upon each person. The responsibility that we have to, to, to respond, to accept, to receive, to believe, to obey. And that's the final note that Jesus has. As they would eat the bread, they would dip it into that, into that, what? The herbs and, and the, 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 the fruit, they would dip the bread in. And the same bowl that Jesus was sharing 
in a sense, identifies that it's him. Not only do we see a sense here from the Last Supper of preparation, celebration, declaration, but we also see that there's a, thankfully, a corner that is turned. And we see what the Lord's Supper intended. Secondly, the Lord's Supper intended remembrance. He took bread and after blessing it, he broke it. He gave it. He said, this is my body. He took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it. He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Mark is a man we've talked about repeatedly, a man of few words. And and the gospel of Luke gives a little bit more detail. He adds a very important detail. Talks about what? The, 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 the bread as he broke it. It's my body. The cup as it poured out. This is my blood. And then Luke says this in, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 19. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't ever, ever forget. Remember this. My concern is, is that as we regularly participate as a group of called out ones, the local church, We'll celebrate the Lord's. And, and I'm, I'm afraid that we don't remember, that we forget the depth of this. Realize that we can become so familiar with something that we actually forget. A number of years ago, our daughter Sarah was 16 years old and learning how to drive. And of course, there's always a requirement of so many hours. You have to be driving with mom or dad. And, and we were always like, we're just going to knock it out. Okay, six hours today. We're going to drive all night long. And I remember I was sitting next to her and she's doing okay, swerving, weaving a little bit, but learning. And I'm, I'm with her, but in a sense, after a while, kind of getting a little bored. I remember I, I, I had my phone, I texted, I had a friend who was on the police force of the town that we were living in, and, and I texted him, and, and he happened to be on duty that day, and I said, hey, uh, Matt was his name, Matt, can, can you help me out here, can you do a favor for me? He's like, yeah, no problem, I said, I want you to pull my daughter over. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I, and I said this, I said, be tough, but don't be too tough. Big guy, muscle, tattoos. and Sure enough, we're driving and, and we see blue lights behind us. And Sarah just panics. Like, what do I do, Dad? But I'm like, it's blue lights. You got to pull over or something. And so she pulled over and she kind of angles in like not a real neat parking job there. And he comes up and he said, I had some reports of a red Jeep swerving in this area. She looked at him and she said, probably. <laughs> Then he asked this, then he asked this question. He says, excuse me, what is your name? And she looked at me. I said, honey, tell him your name. Sarah. He said, do, do you have a last name, Sarah? She looked at me again. I'm like, honey, tell him your name. Blank, like it happens. We're like so familiar with something and then it happens that we can actually forget. Eventually, I, I that kind of gave a big smile and he says, do you know who I am? And she said, no, but I think my dad knows who you are. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think about, we have something before us 
that we're to never forget. And, and, and my concern is, is that we can churn through this. We can churn through this without pausing and remembering the significance of this. And there's no doubt you begin to pause on this subject, the communion table, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, the Eucharist. The Catholics use the word Eucharist, Eucharisto. It means thanks. You begin to talk about this and all of a sudden people get a little bit wary. Jesus actually said it like this in John chapter 6. So Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life. In you. Think about that whole idea of what communion is. We're talking about what? Eating flesh and drinking blood. And people who are kind of like new to church, like, this is just really weird. Like, you guys are like freaked out. Really a neat um, church growth strategy right there. We're going to come. We're going to talk about drinking the blood of Jesus. But you realize that this graphic, very, very, very Tough language is used intentionally. Why? The, the, the body of Jesus was broken and torn and pierced and shred to pieces. His blood was poured out. There was lots of blood. The, the Romans had perfected. They referred to it as the art of crucifixion, that it was so painful. Jesus intentionally uses this graphic language because people must acknowledge and understand and address what? The sacrifice of Jesus. The lamb without any spot, the lamb without any blemish suffered that much on our behalf. His body was broken, torn apart. Blood was poured out for you. And I I think at times we flippantly race through this. Let's... That's what we can't do, remember it. The churches that falsely teach what's referred to as a doctrine of transubstantiation, that when they take this, this bread, it literally becomes the body. They drink the cup, it literally is the, the blood. No, it's not. It's a false doctrine, Catholics teach. Lutherans would, would believe in another doctrine referred to as consubstantiation, where, where spiritually, this, this spiritually becomes the, blo- the, the body, and spiritually it becomes, no, no, it's not. It's just, it's just bread. That's all it is. It's just a cup, juice. It's simply there as a reminder, a symbol to remember something. And when you taste something, you smell something, what? you remember it. That's the design here. I don't know, we remember the Lord's Supper. Well, it, it, it intended remembrance, but finally, it is to intend reverence. This is something unique and special that we don't race through. If you recall in the ancient Jewish Passover, the third cup was referred to as the cup of blessing. And this is the part of the meal that Jesus steps in, he transforms into what we now refer to as the Lord's Supper or communion. No, no longer are people stopping to remember what, what God did in the past. An amazing gift of sparing the firstborn of, of the nation Israel because of the blood on the doorposts and, and what? So, so the Jews escape death and ultimately escape Egyptian bondage. We're not looking back at that. We don't celebrate Passover any longer. Why? Because we look at what Jesus Christ has completed for us. 
that we know that by cause his, his body was broken, his blood was poured out, we can escape the very wrath of God. 1 Corinthians 10, I have the words for you on your little note sheet. It talks about the fact that aren't, aren't we in participation here? The word is, is fellowship. Don't we do this in participation? It's the Greek word koinonia. Don't we do this together as one? Yes. Every time we partake of this, Jesus, in a sense, is alongside. Thus, the reason that we carefully, with great solemnness, great reverence and respect, receive the communion table, the bread and the cup. The final difference in the Passover, this particular Passover supper, occurred when Jesus announced that he was not going to drink the fourth cup. It would be untouched. It would remain which normally brought the Passover to conclusion. Why? Because Jesus said he would not drink again until he established the kingdom of God. And that's when he will complete. As we prepare our minds, as we partake, there's a few verses I want to leave with you. And I'll read this in closing. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul, the apostle, gives instruction to the church at Corinth because they had completely missed the idea of communion. How precious this is. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, pick it up in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better part, but for the worse. Paul's tough. He comes right at them. I have something to tell you, and you're not going to like it. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. He talks about the fact that the church is to be of one. Spirit. We're to be of one mind. Paul says, What? There's factions and there's fighting and backbiting and, and divisions. I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread, drink of the cup. Paul says, come prepared. Come knowing and remembering what Christ has done. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have, have died if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. 
anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. That when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I will give directions when I come. This is a serious, serious matter for the local church. What? The called out ones to regularly meet. To approach this, this table with great reverence and great respect. And to do it in memory of what Jesus Christ has done for you.